Well, good morning. Uh, as Nigel's already said, we've come to the, the final uh, message on Nehemiah, but not the actual final chapter, and by no means not the end of the story. Um, so I would encourage you to, if you haven't done so already, uh, completely read the book of Nehemiah. And I've been given uh, four chapters to cover, so it's going to be a little bit of a tall poke in some of those chapters. So there's probably lots of things that I won't cover and I won't say, so you'll have to forgive me for that. Okay, so Nehemiah, uh, we're looking at starting at chapter 8, if you have your Bibles or your song sheet there. So the story so far is that the people of God uh, were taken into exile uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar some many years ago to Babylon. And this empire was eventually conquered by the Medes and Persians. And now um, it is uh, the superpower of the day is a, um, a king called King Artaxerxes. But in spite of this exile of God's people, God has not abandoned his people. And God has blessed Nehemiah during the reign of King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah was uh, what was called the cup bearer to the king. Now, as uh, a few other folk have explained in previous weeks, that wasn't just a case of uh, being a glorified waiter. Um, this was a very prominent and trusted position. Uh, Nehemiah would protect the king from potential enemies. And Nehemiah because of God's blessing on him, found favour with King Artaxerxes. And the king allowed Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and to uh, rebuild and repair the walls that were broken down. Now the king not only allowed this, but he also provided protection for Nehemiah and the Jews who were there, and he also provided supplies. And as we learned last week, uh, Nehemiah and the Jews did rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to a certain extent and they completed this task in just over, what, 52 days. So it was a mammoth thing that they did. And the book of Nehemiah is really all about rebuilding. So if you're a builder here, you really would love Nehemiah. Now I'm not a builder. Um, <laughs> But one of the things that's really important in any building, even I know, is that the most important thing is the foundations. If you don't have a good foundation, it doesn't matter how big the wall is, it will eventually come crashing down. So this book is all about rebuilding. So we've concentrated previously on the external rebuilding, if you like, on the actual walls of the city. But a more important rebuilding work is about to start, and it starts here in Nehemiah chapter 8. The most important building work is actually an internal one. God needs to rebuild people's hearts. He needs to rebuild their foundation, their relationship with him. So that's really what we're going to focus on today. God was doing a work of renewal amongst his people. And Ezra, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 is the start of that. And as I said, um, 
the important thing in any building project is its foundation. Now the thing that stands out in all the readings that were uh, carried out this morning is the fact that the book of the law, the word of God, is a dominant feature in this, uh, in this passage. And if God is going to rebuild his people, he needs to bring them back to the book of the law, to the word of God. So, I want us to consider this morning three things, three very short, short things. Don't worry, you're not going to have to stand for six hours and hear me. Hopefully it'll be about half an hour, okay? So I want us to look at three things this morning. The first thing I want to look at is that they actually read the Word of God. Now this seems a rather obvious statement, doesn't it? You might think. But this type of public reading of God's word had not been done in Jerusalem for a very long time. Certainly not in the last 70 years. And many of the people who attended this occasion in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1 had probably never heard the word of God read in such a public way. But this was a command actually in the book of the law that this sort of thing should happen. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, uh, we find that Moses wrote this, these words. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 9. So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year for cancelling debts, during the festival, festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing, the Jordan, to possess. So this was a command, this was something that had to be done. The people were commanded to come together and to hear the public proclamation of the word of God as recorded by Moses. And we find this is exactly what happened. They came together here uh, in verse 1. They gathered together in the square before the water gate to hear Ezra the scribe proclaim the word of God. And a tower had been built for this occasion so that all the people could see and hear him. Now this was a, a great assembly. We obviously don't know how many people were there, but it probably numbered in the thousands. This was a huge assembly of God's people. Everyone who could come would have tried to be there. So this was a really special occasion. So they came to hear the reading of the word of God. And we see that God is working in the people's hearts uh, in a number of ways by the attitude that they displayed when they came. 
Attitude is everything, is it not? I mean, that's what I always tell my kids, I tell Josh is here. The most important thing in anything we do is attitude. It's how we approach something. And the people here had a great attitude when they came to hear the Word of God. And I just want to pick up on a few of those uh, lessons that we can also learn as we come to hear the Word of God. The first thing they had was a great desire. Uh, verse 1, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. They had a great desire. I can almost imagine that they must have shouted, Ezra, bring out the book. They spoke as one man, so they had a great, great desire for the word of God. When we come to hear God's word, we should have a great desire in our hearts to hear it. Secondly, they listened to God's word in a reverent manner. Um, again, if we go to the, the chapter here, they showed this reverence um, in verses 5 and 6. But the people had a deep respect for the word of God. They held it in high esteem. That's what reverence means. It means that we hold something in high esteem. Deuteronomy again in chapter 32 and verse 47 we read these words. These were words that Moses spoke uh, before he died. These were some of the last words he said to the people as they were about to enter the promised land. It says when Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you, they are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So the people had a deep, deep reverence for the word of God. They held it in high esteem. They recognised that these were the very words of God himself as given to Moses. And we see, we see this, don't we, in verses 5 and 6. They stood up and then they bowed down and worshipped. Now, they were not worshipping the book. In fact, it wasn't a book. It would have been a really large scroll um, that Ezra opened. But they were actually worshipping God at this point. They had a great reverence for the words of God. They realised that God was speaking to them as Ezra spoke from the scroll of the book of the law. Thirdly, they actually listened attentively. Um, seems a rather obvious thing to say, doesn't it? But, you know, we have an actual ability, do we not, to hear things with our ears but not actually listen? Now, if you're married, you definitely know this is true. <laughs> okay, there's many occasions, I know when Jackie's speaking to me, I've already, I'm okay, I'm not going to get any grief for this later on. But you know what it's like, sometimes somebody can be speaking to you and you're not really listening, you're not really paying attention. And sometimes we can actually do that when we hear the word of God. And maybe this stems from the fact that we sometimes fail to appreciate that this word of God is God's words to us. It is divine, it is powerful, it speaks to his people. 
there was a very famous um, preacher uh, called Roland Hill, who lived in the 18th century. He was greatly used of God. And shortly before he died, he was visiting an old friend who told him that he could actually remember the text and part of a sermon that he preached 65 years ago. And Hill asked him what he remembered. And he said that Hill had said that some people, when listening to a sermon, did not like the delivery of the preacher. Then he said, Supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read, and you were expecting a legacy from him, you would hardly think of criticising the manner in which the lawyer read the will. Rather, you would be all attention to hear whether anything was left to you, and if so, how much. And this is the way that we are to listen to the word of God. We are to listen to it attentively. It will speak to us. These are important things. Now God could have decided to communicate with his people in another way, but actually he's actually decided to communicate with us by the word of God, by a written word. So again, it seems a really obvious question here. Do we give time, do you give time to actually reading the scriptures? The answer is obviously, we, yes we do. But do we really give time? I mean, I really found this um, a real rebuke. Because I know that very often I don't give time, as I should, to reading the scriptures, to reading God's words. It's very easy, is it not, to read everything about God's word. I don't know if you've found this. I mean, I've been a Christian a long time. And very often I find it's easier to read books about the Bible, about Christianity, than actually rather read the book itself. And this is wrong. We should be people who want to hear the word of God, who have a desire to read it. So my friend, I would encourage you, make it a, a point to, to daily read the word of God. I say this to my own heart first before I say it to anybody else. Another thing as the people approached the word of God is that they had a desire to understand it. Uh, we see this in verses 7 and 8. It says that the men on the platform who stood with Ezra translated, they gave a sense so that the people understood the reading. The people wanted to know the word of God so that they could apply it to their daily lives. And this was done by the priests who were there. And the following day, um, when the people came back, the heads of families also read the word of God and they passed it on to the people. I mean, in a sense, this was probably one of the biggest Bible studies ever because the people were down there, they were standing together and the priests and the Levites, they actually walked around amongst the people and they explained to them what the word of God meant. You know, my friends, we really need to pray for our pastors and ministers, people who come up here and preach the gospel week by week. They have an awesome responsibility because they don't just proclaim the word of God, but they help us to understand it and how to apply it to our lives. So let's really pray for our pastors, for our ministers. So that's how we should approach the word of God. The second point I want to uh, to say so the first one was that they read the word of God the second thing was that they responded to the word of God 
we find that in verses 9 to 11. Now, the response that we see in these verses was not the response that Ezra, Nehemiah and the priests actually wanted. They felt it was an inappropriate response. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that famous episode of Fools and Horses where Dell and Rodney are dressed up as Batman and Robin. <laughs> and they turn up at a funeral. Because Boyce, they didn't tell them it was a funeral. He just didn't tell them. You know, so it was a totally... You don't turn up at a funeral dressed as Batman and Robin. You don't turn up joyful. It was a totally inappropriate response. And the people here, their response to hearing God's word was not what uh, Ezra, Nehemiah and the priests wanted, but probably something that they expected. You see, the people, were, as they heard the word of God read to them, they were completely and utterly overwhelmed. They were overcome by sorrow because they realised that they were here because of the sins of their fathers, their, their own personal sins as a nation. Because they were still in exile at this point. The word of God is like is not like any other book of literature in the whole of human history, my friend. Because this is a living word. It has the power to change people's hearts. We read this in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We see a similar response on the day of Pentecost, don't we? When Peter addressed the crowd... They were cut to the heart when they realised that the Jesus whom they had crucified was the Messiah. They were cut to the heart. Only the word of God has this power. Only the word of God can change people's hearts and lives. So their first response was one of weeping. As I say in verses 9 to 11, the people were completely overcome. I mean, you can imagine the... the uh, the scenario, the, the scene, um, they're begging the people not to cry. You've got the priests have come down trying to calm the people down. The, Levite, the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day, do not grieve. So this was not the reaction they wanted, but there was a reaction probably that they were not surprised at because the word of God does that, doesn't it? Sometimes it will just convict us. And this is what happens here. Only the word of God can change people's hearts. But what was this sacred day? Why, what, what was the, why was Ezra saying, no, this is not a day to mourn. This is a day to rejoice. Well, actually, this was the first of the month, of the seventh month. And this, uh, this particular day marked the beginning of uh, a number of festivals. You had the Feast of Trumpets, which was what was happening here. A few days later, you would have the Day of Atonement, and then towards the end of the, the month, you had a week-long festival known as the Feast of Tabernacles, or also the Festival of Booths. And the Feast of Trumpets was important for a number of reasons. It really commemorated the end of the agriculture year. 
it was effectively for the Jewish people then, almost like the 1st of January, this was the start of their new year, effectively. So they looked back and they rejoiced at God's goodness as he provided the harvest and the food. And it was a time when they offered sacrifices for sin. And when this was explained to them, they actually understood those words and they went away to celebrate with great joy. You see, this should have been the response. This was the response that Ezra wanted. It was one of joy. Now, my friends, there is a proper place, is there not, for tears of repentance? But on some occasions, God wants to remind us that all our sins have been forgiven. All our sins have been dealt with. We should be a people who are marked by joy. It really struck me as we sang. I mean, isn't it great to sing God's praises? It really is. There's nothing more joyful than that, to come with God's people and to sing his praises. And we read about this, uh, this, um, this festival. Uh, you see, they discovered uh, the following day that there was something they should have been celebrating. This was called the Festival of Booths. I'll read it from verses 13 to 17 of Nehemiah. It says, On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olives and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gates and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. The Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. You see, Ezra and the other leaders were reminding the people not of their failings, but of God's amazing grace and mercy. And my friend, this is always where our focus should be. Because this is the gospel message, is it not? The gospel is good news. It's about, a, it's about the Lord Jesus coming into this world and saving people. We are to be a people marked with joy. We are to be sorry for our sin. We are to repent. But we must never fall into a deep despair and forget that we have a saviour, Jesus, who paid the penalty for our sins. We read these amazing words in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So my friends, my, our response to the word of God is to be one of joy. There will be times of weeping, there will be times of sadness as we repent. But overall, it is to be one of joy because we have a great Saviour. We really do.
Chambers moving on. So I want us just to quickly focus on uh, chapter 9. Another response from the fact that the word of God is preached is that the people were convicted and they confessed their sin. Now this occasion wasn't a planned event. This actually happened as a result of what had happened before because the people were moved by the grace of God in their hearts and lives. They were rejoicing in God's goodness and God moved them in their hearts to come to pray to him. And this prayer in chapter 9 is a wonderful prayer, is it not? It's almost like a history of God's dealings with his people. We find similar prayers in Daniel and other places in the Bible. And it's unusual um, because too often our confession and sorrow for sin is because it's been discovered or because we're in a hopeless situation. But what we have here is repentance and confession of sin. That's a, that is a direct result of hearing the word of God. You know what I'm talking about here. As a kid, when you get found out when you did something wrong, I'm sorry, but you're only sorry because it's been discovered. On this occasion here, it is the word of God that has moved people to confess their sins. And when this happens, we know that God is working in his people's hearts. Only the word of God reveals our true condition. You see, sin has the ability to blind us and to deceive us. And this is a case for the person who is a Christian and for the person who isn't. There are three lessons we can learn um, from this chapter. Now, it's too long for us to read. I would encourage you to read it uh, when you get home. The first thing is that we learn rather obviously is that we are prone to sin. We really are. Um, we're reminded at the start of this chapter of God's greatness, his glorious name, and the fact that he is a God who keeps his promises. But this chapter 9 is a little bit like a mirror because it reflects, it reflects the people's hearts, but it also reflects my heart. Because what we see is a people that continually fail to live up to God's standards, who continually sin against him. And you know, this happens even with Christians. We sometimes, do we not, fail to love the Lord our God as we should. Um, we sang a hymn last week when John was here. Oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. And one of the stanzas in that hymn is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So this chapter tells us, reminds us that we are prone to sin. We do have a battle, we do have a struggle with sin. But the thing that really dominates this chapter, and Nigel actually read it in one of the Psalms, he reminded us of it, is the fact that God is a, a God who is full of compassion and who is gracious. This repeats itself on numerous occasions through this chapter. We have, uh, we have examples of the people disobeying God, of they are crying to God and God comes back and he forgives them. Um, he is a God of grace. It says here, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. So we are prone to sin, but God's mercy is far greater than our sin. 
And you know, this, this picture of repentance and confession should be a thing that should mark our lives as Christians. Daily we should come to God and confess our sins. Daily we should come and rejoice in his goodness for us. And lastly, the people made a resolution. So they read the word of God, they responded to the word of God. And lastly, they resolved to obey the word of God. We read that in chapter, towards the end of chapter 9 and a part of chapter 10. They made an agreement, they made a promise that they would follow wholeheartedly the commands of God. My friends, what are you going to do today? <clears throat> You've heard the word of God. Are you going to respond to it? Are you going to resolve in your heart today to follow it, to obey it? As I say, you can read the end of this book. The fact of the matter is that these people, even though God was moving in their hearts, and there was a period of revival, lasted for a number of years uh, under uh, the governorship of Nehemiah. But if you read towards the end of this book, in the final chapters, you find that the people who had made these promises broke them. They broke every single one. Now, my friend, that shows us one thing, that we can never ever keep God's laws we actually need a new heart the word of God actually became flesh if we go to John's gospel uh, we find these words in John chapter 1 It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And moving on down to verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of truth, full of grace and truth. This is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, only Jesus could keep God's perfect law. We can't. But if we come to him in confession, then our sins are completely forgiven and God's justice is satisfied. So the word of God is not just a book to be read. It's a book that we must respond to. We must respond to the words and we must obey what it says. I pray that God will allow us and help us to do that this time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you that the scriptures are the living word. We thank you, Lord God, that your word has the ability to change people's hearts. It changed my heart many years ago, and I praise you for it. We thank you, Lord God, that we learn from uh, this book of Nehemiah that in spite of the people's failings, you are a God who is full of compassion, who is full of love for his people. 
We thank you, Lord God, that you have brought us into your kingdom. And I thank you, Lord God, that in the Lord Jesus Christ, everybody here has an opportunity to enter your kingdom, to be part of your people. We thank you that in the Lord Jesus we have seen your word in the flesh and lived out perfectly. We praise you for him and we praise you for your word now. In Jesus' name. Amen.